You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. President Joe Biden has not outlined any executive actions he'll take to shore up abortion rights after the Supreme Court reversed the constitutional right to an abortion last Friday. However, Biden did say this on the Jimmy Kimmel show a few weeks ago. There's a whole range of things that are at stake here when we talk about eliminating Roe v. Wade and all its all the same-sex marriage. It. I mean, it's just ridiculous, in my view. And I don't think the country will stand for it. But I think what we're going to have to do. There's some executive orders I could employ. I, we believe we're we're looking at that right now. A group of Senate Democrats is urging President Joe Biden to take bold and immediate action on abortion rights, to, quote, use the full force of the federal government to protect access to abortion in the United States. Some of the things that have been suggested are to increase access to medication abortion and provide resources for people seeking out-of-state abortion care, such as travel vouchers. Joining me to discuss some of the suggestions is Mary Ziegler, a professor at UC Davis Law School. I know this is unlikely to happen with this Congress, but theoretically speaking, could Congress pass a law that would bar states from outlawing abortion? There would be a constitutional challenge to that, simply because Congress has limited authority, right? So whenever Congress passes a bill, it needs to tell you which part of the Constitution it's looking at. And if, you know, co- Congress could theoretically look at the Commerce Clause, um, but if, it, if it's saying that it's essentially recognizing a right to abortion, Congress's ability to define the scope of rights rather than just enforce them under the 14th Amendment is limited. So if Congress did want to introduce protection for abortion rights, it would probably have to do it in a different way. So let's talk about some of the things discussed that the president could do. So, Mary, he could declare a national public health emergency. The advantage of declaring a public health emergency would mean that the Department of Health and Human Services would at least temporarily suspend 
state-based rules on medical licensing, and that would allow blue state doctors to perform abortions in states where abortion is outlawed or restricted. Um, so that's the reason that that's being considered. I think the challenge, obviously, if you're talking about people traveling to states where abortion is illegal is that there would almost certainly be not only legal challenges to that kind of strategy, but also efforts, you know, likely to arrest those doctors if they are in red states performing abortions. So there may be kind of practical limits as well as legal challenges. Also, when the Biden administration used the public health emergency to declare a rent moratorium during COVID, the Supreme Court didn't allow that. Yeah, that's right. And so almost certainly if the Biden administration did that, it would invite a legal challenge. And I think the other thing that's worth emphasizing is that it's one thing for doctors in blue states to perform abortions for folks who are traveling from out of state. It's another to ask them to travel to states that have proclaimed their intention to prosecute and sue anyone who performs abortion, right? So for people to travel to those states, their potential risk of exposure to adverse consequences is higher. And so declaring a public health emergency, in addition to, you know, ending up being challenged in the courts, may also not have a lot of takers in terms of doctors willing to, you know, deal with those potential risks. We've talked before about abortion pills and how that may be the new frontier for abortion. Right now, the FDA requires any pharmacy that distributes a drug to obtain a special license. So another proposal Mm -hmm. is just to make it easier to obtain abortion pills. Is that an easy fix? I mean, that's certainly an easier fix. It won't obviously address all of the kinds of things that we see red states planning to do in the aftermath of Roe v. Wade being overturned. But I think for many supporters of abortion rights, the additional restrictions on access to abortion medication are not warranted based on existing evidence, and they do make abortion medication harder to get. I think, obviously, in states that will seek to criminalize abortion medication, that's only a a piece of a bigger picture, but I think uh, it's certainly something that I think abortion rights supporters will see to be overdue. The states that want to criminalize abortion pills, how do you think they'll go about that? Likely what we're going to see is some combination of kind of bounty schemes like we've seen with Texas's SB8, where states incentivize people or potentially even require people to report when they have evidence of an abortion taking place. Or we're likely to see lots of cyber surveillance. There are lots of ways that government can access your online data, whether that's someone who searched on Google for abortion or someone's cell phone location data if they've traveled for an abortion, period tracker apps and so on, which is why you've seen uh, some proposals from Democrats to focus on digital privacy, um, because, of course, digital privacy concerns would affect those seeking abortions, but potentially many others as well. If states are trying to figure out who's having abortions, they may be surveying people of reproductive age or even just people who are researching abortion. One proposal was that the administration asked the Federal Trade Commission to push makers of the apps that track menstrual cycles to warn users that the data could be used to identify women in the early stages of pregnancy. So that data isn't protected? It's complicated, right? The Supreme Court has said recently that some of your digital data are available only when the police get a warrant. So, for example, um, the information in your cell phone, the kind of like GPS feature that tells people where you are or pings certain towers, the law enforcement does need a warrant to get that, although it's not clear exactly how broadly that kind of ruling will apply. We also know, though, that quite often law enforcement can buy lots of data on the open market from 
apps and other digital service providers the same way anyone else can um, and without a warrant, right? So one of the reasons this kind of notice is something the Biden administration is pushing for is because people just don't know that. This is a situation where there are steps people could take to protect their online privacy, but they don't know that there's anything they need to do. They don't know this kind of information is being tracked. And whether this kind of notification would be effective, I think, remains an open question. But it would be at least a good first step to let people know this is something they actually need to be concerned about. There have been cases of medical workers already in Texas reporting people they suspect of mm-hmm. having an abortion. So there's also a, a suggestion of the Biden administration issuing tougher HIPAA guidance to prevent that from happening. That's absolutely a concern because, I mean, it, one of the things, of course, anyone could be that kind of reporter. States could mandate reporting from a variety of other individuals. Other people could find out someone was having an abortion. But as you can imagine, HIPAA guidance would be especially significant because medical professionals are more likely to know if someone's had an abortion than other people would. Because, you know, when people have post-abortion complications or really any kind of post-pregnancy complications, medical professionals are going to be on the front line of dealing with that and would therefore be people who would be in a better position to report on someone they think was having an abortion. So better HIPAA guidelines might prevent that from happening. There's also a suggestion of using federal funds to help pay travel and lodging costs for poor women who are crossing state lines to get an abortion. So that's obviously um, one of the biggest barriers, of course, assuming that states allow people to travel out of state for abortion without effectively shutting down abortion providers, assuming that happens, then it would be important for people to have the ability to pay, right? The challenge there is there will, again, probably be legal challenges, primarily based on the Hyde Amendment. So some people will say the Hyde Amendment is narrow. It's just about Medicaid reimbursement for abortion. Others will point to language in the Affordable Care Act or the Hyde Amendment essentially saying, you know, defraying the cost of abortion is tantamount to paying for abortion and that various aspects of federal law make that impossible. Again, I don't know how that kind of federal challenge will go, but we would again expect to see litigation about that. There is a theory that states will attempt to criminalize traveling for the purpose of getting an abortion. I mean, I don't understand with the interstate commerce rules how they could enforce that. I think it would have to be kind of incidental that they would find out. I mean, there's the two aspects of the enforcement question, right? There's the practical, like how would they know? And then there's the the kind of constitutional. And on the constitutional front, the answer is just that states are well aware that the law is really underdeveloped in these areas. And so they don't know what the Supreme Court is going to say, but they're willing to roll the dice, especially because they believe the Supreme Court is, is conservative, which is true, and that they believe the court is uniquely unsympathetic to abortion, which is likely also true. So I think there's enough of a legal gray area here that states are willing to test the waters. I, I also just wonder how much states are willing to spend on this effort to stop people from getting abortions, even outside their state. Yeah, I think the other concern, I think, for people who are opposed to abortion would have to be that it will ultimately be ineffective, because we've seen, for example, um, recently the Guttmacher Institute released a report showing that the abortion rate in the past several years had actually increased for the first time in three decades. And the explanation was not that states had been passing fewer restrictions in that period. They had been passing lots of restrictions. It was a combination of blue states stepping up Medicaid funding for abortion in their states and family planning funding being cut. And so I think one thing we'll see conservative states realizing is that even when they implement draconian penalties, 
there's going to be kind of only a marginal effect because they've already limited access to abortion so much. And ironically, I think you see anti-abortion groups in blue states saying we need to focus more on poverty reduction and paid family leave. And essentially the people who are having abortions who might prefer to carry a pregnancy to term if they had better life circumstances. That's not everyone having abortion, but there's certainly a subset of people. But I imagine red states are not going to do that. And they may be kind of constantly chasing more draconian enforcement mechanisms in a way that will ultimately have diminishing returns, right? I don't think that they're going to be able to prevent people entirely, especially given the difficulty of discovering who is or is not even having an abortion in the first place. There's one suggestion that leasing federal land or using federal areas like military bases in states Mm -hmm. that criminalize abortion for abortion clinics. That might work, but I just don't know if the Biden administration would be willing to do that. I mean, there's the political will question. There's also questions about whether that would potentially run up against limits on federal financial support for abortion. Again, I think you can argue that it's distinguishable from the Hyde Amendment because it's not a part of the Medicaid program. But I imagine that you would see challenges to that as well. There's criticism of the Biden administration for not doing anything, not moving fast. I think people in the Biden administration probably would say that most of the options they have available to them are legally ambiguous, right? There are no slam dunks. I think for people in the abortion rights movement, there's a sense that the Biden administration doesn't care about this issue and doesn't think, you know, that it's important enough unless there's an absolute political imperative to deal with it immediately. So I think it's fair to say that the Biden administration hasn't handled this in a way that would diffuse criticism from the abortion rights movement, even if there are, you know, valid reasons to be concerned that some of the strategies may not be ultimately successful ones. Is there one thing that stands out to you as most doable and effective And I think digital privacy is really important. I also can't imagine that would be anything but a winner for the Biden administration. Because, of course, as you can imagine, if states are trying to enforce these laws, they're going to sweep in a lot of people who are not seeking abortions. So I think that's very important. It's also important just to the ability of states to actually punish people. I think the FDA's taking further steps on abortion medication is also key. And I think the justice is teeing up an effort to litigate should states actually try to indict or sue doctors in blue states who are performing abortions in blue states. The Biden administration Justice Department should be at the front lines of efforts to stop that. So those are all, I think, important steps. So you think that red states will sue doctors in blue states who are doing abortions? Mm Mm-hmm. What would the grounds be? I think what we're going to see red states essentially saying, if someone from a red state comes to a blue state and has an abortion, we, the red state, are going to assert that we can criminally prosecute that doctor or authorize a lawsuit against that doctor because the person seeking an abortion is from our state and they were violating our laws. I don't necessarily think that will work. But again, we're dealing with gray areas because choice of law doctrines not very well developed. These constitutional doctrines aren't very well developed. And so you'll see some red states rolling the dice on that. And I imagine the Justice Department will be involved in trying to beat back that effort. Thanks, Mary. That's Professor Mary Ziegler of UC Davis Law School. Now that the Supreme Court has wiped out the constitutional right to abortion and the battle over abortion rights have shifted to the states and state courts in particular, there have been a flurry of lawsuits over state abortion bans focusing on state constitutions in at least 
11 states. One of those states is Wisconsin, where Democratic Governor Tony Evers vowed to fight over an anti-abortion law on the books for more than 170 years. That's now technically the law again. I don't think that a law that was written before the Civil War or before women secured the right to vote should be used to dictate these intimate decisions on reproductive health. And abortion rights activists did win temporary rulings allowing abortions to resume in Louisiana, Texas, and Utah. I emphasize the word temporary because the full hearings are yet to come. Joining me is Neil Devins, a professor at William & Mary Law School. I want to start with just a general question. Does a state Supreme Court have the power to provide more protections for individual rights? Absolutely. State Supreme Courts over the years have been the first to recognize rights such as interracial marriage, same-sex marriage, Miranda warnings, search and seizure protections, all come from state Supreme Court decisions. The states can provide protections beyond that which the federal constitution provides. So now we have lawyers, you know, trying to dissect state constitutions and statutes to see if they can save abortion rights through state Supreme Courts. I think state Supreme Courts are very much creatures of the dominant state political culture, as opposed to entities that are going to rule against what lawmakers and voters in the state prefer. So if you look at the states that have the trigger bans, the 13 states that have the trigger laws that are now going into effect, abortion is not politically popular in those states. The state political establishment opposes, doesn't support abortion. These state Supreme Court justices are very much a part of that establishment. They stand for election in most states, not all, but in about three quarters of the states. And they're subject to popular checks like voter initiatives. And as a result, you rarely see state Supreme Courts playing a sort of path-breaking role. So red states are likely to back red state values and blue states are likely to back blue state values. You point to an Iowa Supreme Court decision. Tell us about that. Sure. In Iowa, which is a state that has gone back and forth between Democrat and Republican party control, it's what is known as a purple state, even though it leans on the conservative side. So the Iowa Supreme Court, when there was a majority of Democratic Supreme Court justices found in the state constitution a constitutional right to abortion, the governor and legislature had changed by the time that decision was rendered, and they no longer were supportive of that decision. So when the Democratic court found the constitutional right, the Republican political establishment, which controlled the governor's office and the state legislature, changed this system by which state justices were selected, and several justices' terms were ending. State Supreme Court justices don't serve life terms. They have terms of office, mandatory retirement, and other such limitations. In any event, the new Republican governor was able to appoint a majority of justices on the Iowa Supreme Court, and the Iowa Supreme Court followed the lead of the Iowa political establishment and overturned that earlier decision and said that there no longer was a constitutional right to abortion under the Iowa state constitution. So how did they reason that? Did they do what the Supreme Court did and say, we're reversing precedent? Yes, they said that the earlier decision did not take into account future life in ways that it should have, and that the earlier court had overstepped its authority in finding a constitutional right to abortion. 
did Florida's Governor DeSantis do something similar in Florida? So in Florida, Governor DeSantis also was able to transform the Supreme Court thanks to uh, justices' terms of office ending. He was able to appoint three new justices to the state Supreme Court when he became governor. And the state Supreme Court uh, has already overturned a death penalty decision limiting constitutional protections for those subject to the death penalty. And it's expected that in Florida, where an earlier Supreme Court that was dominated by Democratic appointees had found a constitutional right to abortion, it's anticipated that the new Supreme Court is going to overturn that decision and uphold uh, Florida's ban. I think it's a 15-week ban on abortion. So that's expected. Whether that happens or not, of course, remains to be seen. But it would be in keeping with what we've seen in states like Iowa. Now, in Kansas, there's a Democratic governor and the Supreme Court is dominated by Democratic appointees. And yet that didn't help? Oh, it definitely did help in Kansas. In Kansas, the decision to find a constitutional right to abortion is on the ballot this summer. There's a voter initiative that the state legislature, which is Republican-dominated, put on the ballot. But the voters may turn down that initiative. So the decision of the Kansas Supreme Court may be approved or rejected by the voters. What Kansas shows is that even in a state like Kansas, with a Democratic governor and a Democratic Supreme Court, which will protect the right against legislation and protect the right in terms of what's within the authority of the Supreme Court to find, that even there, there's the possibility that the initiative process will result in the overturning of the decision. That may not happen, but it may happen. And if it happens, of course, it sends a very strong message. But even if it doesn't happen, it says that in those states where abortion is most vulnerable, you know, in the red states that are seeking to eliminate abortion rights altogether, that the dominant political culture is still likely to prevail. It's just not necessarily the dominant political culture in Kansas that remains to be seen. So we've seen cases the Supreme Court says to the effect, well, this is really a decision for Congress, not for us, knowing that what Congress is like now, it's very hard to get anything through Congress. And Brett Kavanaugh says, well, you can go to the state constitution and the state constitutional law to find relief from this. It's very hollow. That's what he said in his confirmation hearing. And to the extent that state Supreme Courts reflect the dominant culture in the states where the dominant culture opposes the right, where the right is in greatest need of protection, it's the least likely place that the right will be protected by the state political establishment or the state Supreme Court. So I think what uh, now Justice Kavanaugh had in mind, a system whereby state Supreme Courts would take issue with state law and uphold rights, find rights. The experiences of Iowa and what's likely to happen in Florida and what I expect is going to happen in, in other red states is going to suggest that, no, if the right is vulnerable to political attack, actually the state Supreme Court is probably not the place to go to get relief. Suppose some states attempt to criminalize giving an abortion. Might that be an area where it would be different at state Supreme Courts if they tried to criminalize it? So there is the question as to whether some types of sanctions might be ones that the state Supreme Court is likely to protect the individual. But again, I think if you have a measure that 
has popular political support from the political establishment, the state Supreme Court is likely to follow suit. And in terms of prosecutions of women seeking to terminate their pregnancies, I've heard several uh, strong pro-life governors who have trigger laws, like the South Dakota governor, say that uh, there would never be a prosecution in South Dakota, at least. And presumably this would hold true in other states with abortion bans against the women themselves. So it's probably the case that that prosecution wouldn't happen in the first instance. But if it were to happen, I guess I would say if it was truly supported by the state political establishment, the state Supreme Court more likely than not would back the state political establishment. What about prosecutions of doctors involved in abortion? Is that different? Well, I think at least the signal is by the Republican governors and attorneys general in states that have the trigger laws that they would prosecute the doctors. And my guess is that the state Supreme Court would conclude that if there's no right to terminate a pregnancy, the doctor is uh, violating state law in a way that would be subject to criminal sanctions. So I, I think that's very much a possibility. And whether we see that happen or not remains to be seen, but it's at least a theoretical possibility. But I'm just wondering, you know, with with the medication abortion, the abortion pills, the federal government is going to try to protect them. But can they do that if the state wants to outlaw medication abortions? So this is very complex, and I don't think we know the answer yet. It's, it's possible that makers of these pills would be able to send them in the mail across state lines. But it's also possible that the state can say that the taking of the pill violates state law. So how the state threads that needle and how the court approaches those cases just remains to be seen. But there's something else to be said about that, which is if it's something within the control, say, of the federal executive through the FDA, then you wonder whether uh, Congress can, will pass legislation relevant to uh, whether the FDA can authorize the uh, movement across state lines of the abortion pill, and also wonder whether it's something that will change from administration to administration, like we've seen with so many other federal initiatives regarding abortion, that uh, Republican presidents impose restrictions and limit the right, Democratic presidents lift restrictions and protect the right, whether we're going to see that pattern where who sits in the White House will define whether the pill is accessible or not accessible across state lines. This decision just throws a monkey wrench into everything, and it's going to make, you know, the battlegrounds between the states. Do you think the five Supreme Court justices envisioned the nightmare that this decision would create? I don't know what they had in mind. I think what we're seeing now is uh, highly predictable. And I don't know what Justice Kavanaugh was thinking, for example, when he filed his concurring opinion, saying essentially that, you know, this is uh, the decision that does away with Roe versus Wade, and now the court is out of the business of abortion and the political process will decide. Some of the questions you asked me about the abortion pill, for example, are questions that might likely work their way into court. There might be First Amendment issues regarding limitations on uh, what doctors can say to women in states that have abortion bans, and there are a whole range of issues that are likely to come before the courts, uh, state and federal, uh, not to mention, of course, all the political chaos. So what Justice Kavanaugh had in mind, as articulated in his opinion, doesn't make sense. What the other justices were thinking, 
I don't know, but I think it's highly foreseeable, uh, particularly given everything that happened after the leak, the death threats on the justices. Uh, I think it's highly predictable that what is happening uh, would be happening. And if they didn't foresee it, I don't know where they were living because they weren't looking outside the door at the protesters at their very homes. So finally, a lot of people are saying that this decision diminishes the court. It, you know, takes away from the court as an institution because people are losing faith in the court. Do you agree with that? I think in the short run, it feeds into the notion that uh, the court is the mouthpiece of the political party in charge of uh, the appointment and confirmation of the justices. And that is not healthy the court, whether that's the long view obviously remains to be seen, but in the short run, uh, it seems that it is hurting the court's reputation as a neutral arbiter of legal disputes. That seems to be certain. Thanks, Neil. That's Neil Devins, a professor at William & Mary Law School. And that's it for this edition of the Bloomberg Law Show. Remember, you can always get the latest legal news on our Bloomberg Law podcast. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at www.bloomberg.com slash podcast slash law. And remember to tune into the Bloomberg Law Show every weeknight at 10 p.m. Wall Street time. I'm June Grosso, and you're listening to Bloomberg. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.